want to welcome you once again to our time together. The Lord has been gracious because now we have an opportunity, Lord willing, next Sunday to begin to meet together. We're excited to be together once again. But we also want to give God praise that he has kept us and that he has grown us and that his grace has been rich upon us. We know that not everybody will be able to meet with us because some may not feel comfortable meeting. So we will continue to publish uh, or to show our videos, our services online, and you are, uh, you are welcome to continue to join us uh, and meet with us even though we may be meeting in different places. I would like to thank uh, Jothan, Doug, Jessica, Len, Matt, and others who have served behind the scenes and put in a lot of time to serve you. We're just thankful for them and for their gifts. I also just want to make one other brief announcement, and that is we do a weekly podcast. And the purpose of the podcast is actually to extend the sermon, uh, the, the, the going through the passage, so that we might talk a little bit more about it and apply it to our lives. So please look out for the podcast and uh, some of the questions and some of the dynamics of the passage that we'll discuss might be of interest to you, and you again may be able to apply it to your life. Today we're going to really continue the, the message from last week, which talks about, talked about wives submitting to their husbands. And so I want to read just one verse, our passage this morning, and then we'll have a word of prayer. 1 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for how you have kept us over these last few months. We thank you for our health and for our strength. We thank you for being reminded what a gift it is to be able to gather together, to be in the same place, to be able to sing, to be able to pray together, to be able to hear your word, and then to be able to have fellowship. And we pray that as this unfolds, Lord willing, in the next number of weeks and months, that that gift as it is returned, may be received with great thankfulness from us. But Lord, we are also reminded of those who are still unable to gather, those who feel the pain of isolation. May you draw close to them. We pray for believers around the world who it's not necessarily for health reasons, but for persecution or maybe other reasons where they're not able to gather. Lord, draw close to them. We have been given a small taste in a small way of what they go through. So we draw close to them in prayer and ask that you would build them up and that you would give them peace and that you would uh, free them to be able to, even though they may not be able to worship together, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we want to pray for marriages. We ask that uh, as we go through this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, that you would build up we also want to pray for single people. We want to pray for young people. We want to pray for elderly, for parents with children, all types of relationships 
There is really in marriage a, a pattern of selfless serving that would benefit every relationship. And so by your spirit, build up marriages and build up relationships. And then finally, we are living in a broken time. And we are reminded of the brokenness in this country and around the world. Father, we are thankful that you sit on the throne and we pray that that's where our confidence may be. And we pray that the church may have a strong voice leading with the gospel so that we might reach out to care for the oppressed and to care for those who are broken. We pray this asking for your leading in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes these uh, passages on marriage can be difficult because they're read outside of their context. So I just want to take just a few moments and remind us the importance of context. When we discuss marriage, and especially 1 Peter chapter 3, we just want to recognize two contexts that will help us understand uh, when Peter speaks to husbands and to wives. First of all, there is the context of listening to one another. If you've been with us through 1 Peter, you will know that Peter is writing to suffering Christians. They're hurting and they're messy. And they are trying to figure out their faith, live out their faith in a world that just seeks to crush them. And so when we talk about husbands and wives, we know that there is this element where we're talking in a way where we're instructing one another. But we also have to recognize that when someone comes to talk to you about their marriage, they're probably hurting. They are hurting. They are struggling. They are confused. And that's why Peter writes in the same way wives and in the same way husbands, because he has just referenced the suffering of Christ. So when we approach people and talk about marriage and talk about what they're going through, it's so helpful to recognize that it's not just about giving answers, but it's to journey with them alongside their hurt, knowing that Satan and the world wants to crush them, but that the word of God gives life. And so much of what happens in, when we talk and travel with people through marriages is not the instruction, although the instruction is important, but it's that they know that we love them and that we're willing to journey with them through very difficult waters. We live out our faith not in a neutral world and not with neutral hearts, but with suffering and the struggle of sin. And so we want to read this passage in the context of a real, messy, struggling, faith-filled, faith-struggling life. The second context that becomes important is when we listen to the word of God. Headship and submission do not just appear and live on their own. Headship and submission, if we could say it this way, breathe the air of the gospel and of our new nature in Christ. We will not properly understand headship and submission until we understand the gospel and until we understand the power that we have to live in grace and live out the new nature that we've been given. Imagine for a moment a couple walking in and they're struggling and they say, or they're struggling and you say, okay, let's do this. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and then let's talk about headship and submission. And they, they would probably just be crushed by that. They would probably struggle with that. You would say, this will be awesome for your marriage. And they would say, ah, this probably isn't going to help. Why? And it probably won't. Because the gospel 
We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of uh, the new nature. This teaching has gospel context. That's the air that it breathes, which leads to a Christ-like character. And it's in that context, then we can discuss headship and submission. And that's why, and we'll get to that, Lord willing, next Sunday, when we read in chapter 3, verse 8, the very next verse is all about Christian character. What should headship and submission look like? Be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another. If you're not loving one another, you're not leading. If you're not loving, loving one another, you're not submitting. So this is the context. Uh, we don't want to rip it out of its context, but context of just basic understanding of people and then the basic understanding of the, of the word of God. So what we're going to do today is we're going to uh, just really divide the passage up into two parts. The first part will just be a quick review of what we looked at last Sunday with submission. And then we're going to take a look at God's gift of headship. So be reminded of God's gift of submission and then uh, look at God's gift of headship. And we're going to see four gifts within the headship that God has created uh, to bless the marriage. So God's gift of submission. God's gift of submission, just like we looked at how submission should be winsome and wise, so we want to take a look at how headship should be winsome and wise. And I would just summarize biblical submission in these three ways. And this comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. First of all, submission is worship. Peter encouraged wives to serve God with a pure and reverent heart. And as they serve God with a pure and reverent heart, even though their husbands may be unbelievers, uh, they serve their husbands with pure and reverent hearts, reverent to God. So submission is first of all accountable to God, to live before God in what is right, knowing his awesome person, his, the fear of God, and then loving him through pure lives. Submission is worship, but submission is also grace, growth, grace, growth, or we could say growing in grace. A lot of submission or submission actually has a lot to do with self-image. Peter challenged women and said, the world will tell you to, to pay all attention to outward beauty. And Peter says, there's nothing wrong with outward beauty, but we can neglect the self-image. We can neglect the inner self. And so many people judge themselves by how they look. And Peter says, develop the inner heart. He says, do you have this grace growth with a gentle and a quiet spirit? Submission is not only worship, but submission is growing in grace with gentleness, not bitterness, with a quiet, not angry spirit or discontent spirit, but just a quiet spirit. Submission is worship, submission is growing in grace, and then finally submission is active living. At its most practical level, once worship and growing in grace has been established, what is submission? What does submission look like? Submission looks like these two things that Peter ends with in verse six. It is, act, or it is do good, do what is good, and do not fear any intimidation. Do what is good, do not fear any intimidation. What does submission look like? Worship, inner, inner growth, grace growth, and then living it out. Do good. God will give you wisdom. Don't back down. Literally, 
Don't be put to flight. Don't be intimidated. And within these broad parameters, Peter gives so much room for the enjoyment and the development of marriage. Submission is never weakness as we saw last Sunday, but it is to stand up. It is to worship. It is to do what is right. It is not to be told to be quiet or manipulated in any way. In fact, there are many areas which wives take the lead and use their gifts, which benefit the relationship and bring glory to God. It really is the selfless friendship serving one another. So if that is a brief summary of what we looked at last week, submission being worship, submission being grace, growth, and then submission living it out practically, what is the gift of headship? What does the gift of headship look like? Well, let me first of all try to define headship. And I know this is a long definition or a a weighty definition, but it just helps at least define the direction that we're going and give us, gives us pr- broad parameters as to what headship or leadership in marriage looks like. Headship is using the fullness of the person, contributing, enriching the friendship while selflessly leading in love and by grace for the glory of God, for the reflection of the gospel and the good of his wife, family, and even society. Headship is using the fullness of his God-given gifts and, and, and spiritual personality, his soul, his strength, contributing and enriching the friendship, specifically with his wife, while selflessly leading in love and by grace for the glory of God in the reflection of the gospel, for the good of his wife, his family, and society. The broad character is that we love one another, but leadership is this servant leadership. We don't have time to talk about that today, but we read that in the person of Christ. Jesus served and he led. Jesus loved the church selflessly, serving, leading forward in protection and provision humbly, joyfully. So we take the example and the character of Jesus and we pray, God, give me that example. Give me the grace to live out your character, your joy, your humility, your selflessness for the good of the family. So what does headship look like in friendship with his wife? What does headship look like in a husband's friendship with his wife? We're going to notice four ways that headship uh, lives itself out or is actively lived out in friendship with a husband's wife. First of all, and there, there, there are four P's, headship pursues, headship protects, headship praises, and then headship prays. First of all, headship pursues. Let's go back to verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, here's headship pursues, or leadership pursues. Live with your wives in an understanding way. It it doesn't actually get more clear than that, does it? Live with your wives in an understanding way. We are, first of all, to live with our wives, We are to spend time with them. 
That may seem like a small point, but what is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that God gives you outside of salvation? Time. You cannot buy back time. One of the greatest gifts that we find uh, that we spend so carelessly is time. Peter comes along and he says, you need to be with your wives. We are to be with our wives. We are to spend time with them, but not just spending time with them. People can spend a lot of time with them, but never get to know one another, to live with them in an understanding way. Not just to know them or understand them, but the word there is to know them in a way that you know what to do that is right. Know them in a way to do right to them. It's this moral understanding. Get to know them so you can love them and you can serve them. One of the great truths of the gospel is how Jesus continually spent time with his people. In fact, we are united with Christ. He continues to spend time with us. He sent his Holy Spirit. Jesus is asking questions. Jesus is understanding his people. Jesus in the, in the New Testament is God with us, living among us, moving towards us. That's the image that God gives as husbands are to be with their wives. I just want to give you an example. What happens if you're struggling with making a decision uh, in your marriage? We often just focus on the decision. But if we're to take the first few words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7... Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. You may want to ask these questions. Do you understand what is going on in her heart? Is she struggling with purity? Is she struggling with reverence? Maybe it's not so much that you disagree with the decision or you probably more in agreement, but there's just a great fear in her heart just as there's times of great fear in all of our hearts. Is she quiet? Is there this settledness in her? Or is she restless? So maybe the issue isn't actually the decision that needs to be made, but maybe you begin to talk on a heart level. Is there a bitterness? Are there past hurts? Are there future fears that are hindering a decision? Because we haven't, really got, we haven't really gotten to understand one another. How does she understand what you're doing? Are there opportunities to build up and encourage as she's struggling with gentleness? And again, I just want to say gentleness is never weakness. In fact, gentleness is often the opposite of weakness because it takes nothing for someone to fly off the handle and just start shouting. The, the opposite, anger. Growing in bitterness, the opposite of gentleness. Just let the rage fly. But gentleness is this quietness and this response with, with grace and with mercy. So maybe it's more of a heart struggle, less of a decision struggle. Is she struggling doing good? Is she intimidated by circumstances? Is she intimate? All we're doing is we're just taking what submission looks like. And, and this is just a small part of the conversation. 
We say, well, my husband won't agree with me or my wife won't agree with me. Well, maybe it's, it's not that. Maybe you just don't understand one another well at this point. Is she too busy? Is she disappointed? What are her hurts? What are her pains? What does she like? What does a bad day look like? What does a good day look like? You're understanding her. You're being her student. You begin to know how to lead with strength for protection and provision for her as the years go by. And you're doing this because you are serving selflessly with a heart that desires to build her up in the Lord for the gospel to the glory of God so that your relationship shines the gospel in the light of Jesus Christ. If that is headship that we are to pursue our wives, then headship also speaks about protecting our wives. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner. How about that? As with a weaker partner. I know that this can sound offensive. And maybe some of you will shut this off at this point because of what Peter has written. And I know that it can be used for bad, and it has been used for bad, as so much scripture can when it's ripped out of its context. But can I ask this question of the church? Why does that have to be so offensive? Why? Why do we have to be offended that Husbands are to live with their wives as with a weaker partner. Why do we listen to culture so much and say, yeah, you know, culture's offended and I'm offended. And maybe sometimes people have a right to be offended because the way that this passage has been used should cause offense, but not the way that Peter has written this. I'll give you another example. Do you know who knows my greatest weaknesses? Do you know who knows my patterns of sin? My hurts? Do you know who can exploit, exploit them for personal gain or for hurt or to destroy my life? Do you know who knows my greatest weaknesses? The person who knows me the most in my vulnerabilities outside of God is my wife. Am I thankful that she knows? Absolutely. Can I show my weaknesses before my wife? Absolutely. Can I imagine if she didn't know my weaknesses? That would be a very dishonest and shallow relationship. And yet... She is so gracious. She loves me. She shows me grace. What does she do? She helps me in my weaknesses. In our relationship, by God's grace, we can be most vulnerable. Even in our weaknesses. And then with her quietness and gentleness and purity and reverence and doing what is good and not feeling intimidated, not being intimidated, she does good for the relationship. In fact, she has been outside of the gospel and 
the God, God, Jesus, the greatest encouragement in my life because she knows me and she's gracious and she builds me up. Why are we so offended that a husband has an, an innate desire to protect just as a wife does to her husband and as parents do to their children? This is in no way demeaning. This really is a time of celebration that God has provided a place of provision and protection in a marriage friendship against a very unkind and brutal world. And it is a safeguard to those who would crush another person's weakness. Imagine if Peter skipped this and did not have the courage to write it. We want to protect our wives and often husbands fall in the, or fail in this area because they do not have the courage to understand, to know, and then to lead. How is the wife weaker? That's a good question. How is the wife weaker? Well, we can try and figure it out and you read the commentaries. They'll say it's this, it's this, it's, but here's what I think Paul is saying or Peter is saying. We might say, I I just wish Peter was a little more clear. What does it mean that uh, we live with our wives as a weaker partner? Peter has just said, we need to understand our wives. That's what he just said. So I think weakness is undefined because weakness varies. Weakness is undefined because weakness varies. It's a general statement. I will be weak in areas my wife won't be. You will be weak in areas I won't be. We try to summarize it as physical or whatever other way. But is it only physical? Some wives, because of the past or present, may find that they are weaker emotionally or spiritually or mentally. Or may be weak at certain times until they're built up and encouraged. We understand weakness by understanding our own wives. And we come along with the spirit of serving and leading them. How will we understand our wives as weaker partners? Because we understand them, we talk to them, we ask them questions, and then we seek to encourage them and be there for them with them. In this way, the friendship is built up and respect is given to the husband and love is given to the wife. It is an amazing gift from God. What this may look like And your marriage may be different than my marriage. It is the danger. I'll just say this. Can I just say this? It is the danger with many well-intentioned books on marriage. They will give you a list of what to do and what, what not to do. Because that's what people really, really want. They just want a list. They want to be told what to do and what not. That's not what Peter does. Peter gives general gospel principles, and then he basically says, God will give you the wisdom to live with your wife, to live with your husband. Here's what often happens when we read some of these marriage books, is we end up saying, I wish my husband was more like this, and often more like the author who wrote it. Or I wish my wife was more like this, often the author who wrote it. But we don't, your relationship will not be like their relationship in some ways. Sure, the foundation will be there, but you have to figure it out. You have to understand your wife. 
Wives have to live in this reverence before God and with this gentle and quiet heart seek to build up that friendship with their husband and to do good for their husband. And that might be different than another way that a husband shows, uh, shows love to his wife. Peter's, and God's word is so brilliant. Many of the books... You just don't have their past. You don't have their personality. You don't have their specific strengths or weaknesses. And we often don't want to do the hard work of sitting down and getting to to build the friendship up over God willing many, many, many years. So many marriages break down because they no longer understand one another. In other words, if we just summarize this section, it is a gospel moment of honesty. With your husband or wife, you should be able to be the most open to share your weaknesses and to receive grace and truth in love. That's gospel headship. That whatever the struggles of your wife may be in her weakness, you come alongside Gently understanding her and then in godly strength, building her up, building the relationship up as you lead with a winsome and wise spirit in winsome and wise spiritual leadership. So much more could be said on this, but we'll we'll keep working through it and um, maybe we'll talk a bit more about this in our podcast. So headship uh, pursues. And then we see that, or we've also seen that headship um, protects. And now we want to take a look at how headship praises. You may remember these words from Proverbs 31. Proverbs, an amazing book of just wisdom. Just wisdom. Drawing close into relationship with God and one another. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will not lack anything good. That's the beginning, near the end. Charm is deceptive, verse 30, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Do you know how much our wives need encouragement? Do you know how much they need to be praised by you? To be built up? Do you know how much there is in media and culture and just in the general sinful nature of humanity and men that will tear our wives down and give them a poor self-image so that they would live in insecurities and brokenness and often in quietness? Do you praise your wife? Listen to what Peter says. As with a weaker partner, showing them honor. Showing them honor. She is, first of all, if she is a believer, loved by God. She is created in the image of God. Just in that, we are called to honor our wives. 
We are called to treat them with dignity. They are precious. They are of great value. Practically, to do what is right, to build up, to count it a privilege to live with our wives as Christ has loved the church and as we love ourselves, selflessly serving so that they know that they are deeply and richly loved. Why? Because they are co-heirs of grace. This sets the entire tone. Do you want to know that the air that headship breathes? Do you want to know the character of headship? Grace. We are co-heirs of grace. Grace is what we do with our weakness and with our messiness. My wife has seen me at my weakest and at my messiest. And she has responded with grace. Our wives seem to do this well. I think it's why, or can do this well. I think it's why he specifically talks to husbands about this. Because the demands can be so great that we can crush. Our wives will be messy, as you will. But she is a co-heir of grace. And she has been equipped to grow in the goodness and the mercy and the truth of God. So she is not what she is, but one day will be. And so we look forward to what grace, how grace will work in her life. The opposite is to run down, dominate, to selflessly destroy their person or trust or faith. These are ways that we can dishonor our wife. Our wives feel the need to live silently. To always be quiet, to always say, I'm sorry. If they only work harder to make their husbands happier. This is to take advantage of our wives. This is what it is to dishonor our wives if they are always wondering if something is wrong with them. Being constantly corrected, even in a loving way, or with a sharp, threatening voice. It can, be, it can even be spiritual abuse telling them how much God must hate them because of the great disappointment they are to him and to so many others. It can be that you're told either by the church or your husband that you're not submissive enough and if you just do this or if you just thought this or if you didn't disagree so much, you'd be a much better wife. It can even be more out there when wives always have to live on the edge of fear. One more time and I will leave you. I will take everything and you won't have anything left. Or it can be being overprotective. So there are no freedoms. There's no trust. It can be through manipulation. Raising a fist, raising a voice. Some sort of subtle or overt punishment. Weeks of silence. And meanwhile, there is no honor. There is no co heirs of grace. You have demanded the law and punished by the law rather than lived by grace. Husbands, 
Do you praise your wives? Do you tell them in a variety of ways that you love them? And that you seek to serve them so that they know they are loved. If headship praises, then finally headship praise. Headship praise so that your prayers will not be hindered. So that your prayers will not be hindered. This is a bit of a mystery to me, and uh, you can let me know what you think, um, but... When I read this passage before, I often thought of this passage as almost a threat to husbands. Get it right. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you won't be able to pray. Uh, and if you're not getting it right, then uh, you will not be able to have that communication with God. But as I looked at it this past week, I, I wonder if it's something more than that. And that is... Your prayers will be hindered and my prayers will be hindered because you won't feel the need to pray or even have the desire to pray because in many ways, prayer is an expression of our weakness and our dependence upon God. If you're not pursuing your wife, if you're not protecting your wife, if you're not praising your wife, you won't be praying because you will be doing everything in your own strength. Your wife should be pursuing you. Your wife should be praising you. Your wife should be building you up. Your wife should be serving your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That doesn't take prayer. You won't feel the need to go to the prayer closet and to plead before God saying, God, I don't think I'm doing a great job. Or I heard this message on 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and I am overwhelmed. I haven't been pursuing my wife. I haven't been spending time with her. I haven't been protecting her as you have called me to protect her in a very healthy gospel way. To build her up so that her character explodes with gospel love. And I don't even know how to do that, God. And so what does that mean? That means that you go to the prayer closet and you get on your knees and you say, God, in the same way you have called me to live with my wife in an understanding way, give me the grace to understand. The kids seem to take all of our time. Give me the grace to praise her and to build her up other than she's a good mom. What is unique about your wife that you can say, I love this about you, and you keep on saying it, and you keep on praising her, and especially in public? I will give you a personal pet peeve. When somebody says, that's the wife. The wife. She is not an object every time I hear it. It might, you, you know, you, it might be a term of endearment for you guys. That's great. Fantastic. But when I hear it, it's like, the wife, my wife. And let me tell you how great she is. And if you can't say that at this point, 
Don't let your prayers be hindered. You will not figure this out on yourself. You will not have your own wisdom. You need, both need to understand the grace and the truth and love that this is a grace-based relationship. You will not get it, but in the messiness, God will build you up so that you lead in a winsome, attractive way and in a wise way. Self-serving leadership doesn't need prayer. Self-serving leadership doesn't need prayer. Your prayers are hindered because you don't need to pray. Selfless leadership and to keep on going, to not grow tired of doing good for your wife needs prayer. To be gracious, like Colossians 3, not to grow in bitterness, that needs prayer. So husbands come and they pray. First Peter chapter three, verse seven, and they say, God, give me the grace to be a husband who understands as I live with her weaknesses, showing her honor, because we're co-heirs of life. Lord, may my prayers not be hindered. I want to close with this thought. People will sometimes ask me, what is the way that you can have the greatest influence, not just on your wife, but uh, on, on the atmosphere of your household, even with your children, even in church, at your workplace? If, if, you, if, if there was a shortcut through all of this, and there isn't really a shortcut, but if there was, what would it be? What is, what is one of the most effective ways to show leadership in a marriage? I think if I were to answer that, and, and you might have other things, but this is, this is where I am today. If I were to answer that, if you were to come and ask me that question, I would say the greatest opportunity for leadership is servant leadership. Is servant leadership, but not just that, servant leadership lived out from the heart, from the attitude. Let me just close by explaining that. I want to ask you some questions. I understand that life can be hard and there can be a lot of struggles. But especially husbands, you're called to stand up and lead your family. Are you joyful? Generally. Not telling jokes and stuff like that, although dad jokes are all, all the rage. Uh, dad jokes can help. But, but are you joyful? Do you create an atmosphere of heaviness and oppression and criticism? Or is there this joy that you bring into the house? When you come home, is it yes? Or is it, oh no? Are you serving? Are you serving? Are you helpful? Are you pursuing holiness? Are you self-giving? Are you leading your family spiritually? Devotions? Church community? The preached word, teaching, prayer, serving, active. One of the most dangerous words in a husband's mind is, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. You see, there's so many things that we could say, like, I will do. Or we can demand so many things of others around us. But are you nurturing the atmosphere that gives room for the expression of the gospel 
in honest conversation and being able to express weaknesses. And that's why it's so good that Peter writes that with a weaker partner. We can express our weaknesses before one another. You lead to give the air of your friendship the breath of grace. Co-heirs of grace. You, it's a breath of honor. I praise my wife. It's a breath of provision and protection. It's a breath of fun and joy and peace and security. Not perfectly, but growing in grace. And that's why, husbands, our prayers cannot be hindered. Step up. Step up. Lead your family. Lead your wives as co-heirs of Christ or co-heirs of grace. And as you step up, ask your wife, ask one another, how can I understand you? How can I love you? How can I lead you? How can I serve you? Is there anything I need to repent of and ask for forgiveness for? So that men rise up and be men of courage who pursue, who protect, who praise, and who pray. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for Peter's simple yet profound instruction. Thank you that the word of God is so honest, so counterculture. Thank you, Father, that we can live with our wives in understanding. Thank you that we can express our weaknesses to one another. Thank you that the bedrock of marriage is to be a co-heir of grace. You have equipped us for everything we need. So we go to prayer and pray for that grace to be lived out so that the gospel might shine from our relationships. We pray for relationships that are hurting. May they begin in the prayer closet. We pray for marriages that are separating. Lord, if it be your will, use this, this word, these words in 1 Peter 3 to draw them back together. We pray for those who are single, who are struggling with singlehood. We pray for those who have lost loved ones and this has been difficult to work through. We pray, Father, who live with brokenness in their lives. Wherever we might be, meet us and speak to us by your word through your spirit so that we might be built up in our weaknesses and know that the grace given in marriages is given to us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. It's been a blessing to do this uh, in front of a video. But it will be a greater blessing to be together, Lord willing, next Sunday. To see a gathering where we sing and praise the goodness of God. May God richly bless you. And again, if there is any way that we can serve you, please let us know. It would be our honor to pray for you, to love you, to journey with you. 